Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I invite Seth up and we're going to pray together. Dear Father, thank you for your word. I'm thankful that these truths are true whether we believe them or not today. God, but I pray that by your spirit we would believe them. God, that we would know you to be good and real and near to us. Um, I pray for Seth as he preaches um, your word to us today. Give him boldness and courage. Um, God, help us to have open hearts and ears and eyes to see your goodness and your glory and your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Um, It's been a while for me uh, since I've been up here. It's good to see your faces this morning. Um, I I just wanted to throw a plug before we get started for uh, the book Brandon mentioned a second ago, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. Um, That's a book that we as an elder team just feel like can really benefit uh, our church, our people, uh, for the season and the time that we're in. And so um, please do pick up a copy and follow along with us as we read this summer, and I know that it'll be Um, It'll be a blessing for you as we do that together. So, um, yeah, again, welcome. Um, I'm glad we kind of got the, you know, like we mentioned the elephant in the room already. We sang the song. If you, you know, if you are of a certain generation uh, and at a certain age, at a certain um, belief system background, you've sang um, that better is one day, you know, maybe a million times in your your Christian life. So um, we did it. Um, but as we, as we go in today and, and to get our minds and hearts moving a little bit, I'd like to pose a question to you to start with. When I say the word home, what does it mean to you? When I say the word home, what does it mean to you? Maybe some of you think about a physical location, maybe a house you grew up in, um, or maybe the place you live now. Uh, maybe you think about Columbia, our city as home. Maybe you've moved away from the place that you were raised, and maybe it's been years 
since you've lived there, but you still refer to your hometown as home. Maybe you've never really had a place uh, that you consider home. And if that's the case for you, I'm, I'm sorry, I really am. Um, and I want to leave room for that as well. Um, some of us probably don't have a physical location in mind, though. Um, but if you do, here's the next question. What is it about that place that makes it feel like home? What is it about the place that makes it feel like home? Like, start with your physical senses. Maybe it's the smell of your grandma's kitchen, you know, when you walk in there. Maybe it's the softness of that really old, worn couch as you sink and sit into it. Or maybe home isn't a physical place at all. Maybe it's a feeling that you get deep down in your bones on some kind of emotional or psychological or spiritual level. It's where you feel safe and protected. It's where you feel seen and understood. It's where you feel loved and accepted for who you are. You don't have to perform or pretend to be somebody that you are not. I'm home when I listen to Switchfoot. Um, that's a band. Um, they had a couple small hits in the early 2000s off an album called The Beautiful Letdown, uh, which they actually just re-recorded uh, to celebrate its 20th anniversary. They're going out on tour later this year. If you want to go hit me up, because I'm definitely going to be there somewhere. Um, so when I was 17 or 18, when I bought that compact disc, uh, it spoke powerfully to me. It gave a voice to so many of the deeper questions I had about what it meant to live as a Christian. I felt like I knew what it meant to die as one, but I wanted to know what it meant for my life now. How was I supposed to be alive now? They made me feel seen and known. So here's where we're going. And I want to put our attention on this one main idea, okay? I have one main idea. It's going to be our first slide, and it's this. We are home in the presence of God. We are home in the presence of God. I have three supporting points for us today. Each one is a way in which we can experience, experience home with God. And they are these. Behold, believe, and trust. Behold, believe, and trust. So that's where we're going. We're going to do this by looking at each time the psalmist pronounced, uh, pronounces that someone is blessed in Psalm 84. Um, there are three beatitudes in this psalm. That term might sound familiar to you. Uh, we've, we're walking through the book of Matthew in our regular sermon series here at Chorus, and not too long ago we covered you know, what the church refers to as the beatitudes um, when we went through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but remember that beatitude is also just a general term for an expression of blessing on someone with a certain characteristic. Okay? It's just an expression of blessing. And there are three of them here in Psalm 84. So turn with me if you have your Bible open. We're going to start with verse 4 and look at the first beatitude. Verse 4 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. So let's look and see how we can experience God as home 
as we behold him, allowing his gaze upon us to transform us. Look with me at our psalm again, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints through the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Other translations um, say cry out to the living God as opposed to sing for joy. There's a longing there. And verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. We might be tempted to think that the psalmist is referring to like the physical tabernacle here. He talks about the courts of the Lord. After all, we're in the Old Testament, and if we know something about our history, that's where God's people expected to interact with God, is in the tabernacle or the temple, a physical building. But take a little closer look with me. How does the second verse end? How does it end? My heart and flesh sing for joy to the what? To the living God. The living God. My heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. He's not talking about walking through a colonnade or noticing some ornate fabric or stone of the temple. He's talking about experiencing the living God as a person. This guy has an intimate, firsthand knowing of who God is and what he's like and what it feels like to be in the presence of God. He has tasted and seen that the Lord is good and he wants more of that. My soul longs, yes, faints. My heart and flesh sing for joy. My heart and flesh cry out. So a question bubbles up. A question bubbles up through the hard places of my heart and soul. How does a person get to that point? Okay. How does a person get to the point where he says, better is one day with you than a thousand anywhere else. I want so badly to be with you that anything else doesn't feel even remotely comparable. That is all that my heart wants. You are the only thing I want. You're the only thing I need. I want more of that. How do we get, how does a person get to that place with God? How do we know his presence in such a way that every other kind of knowledge pales by comparison? Man, we, we feel that dissonance. I feel that dissonance. The fact that that can be true for some people, even us at times, and yet so much of our existence feels like, that's, feels like not knowing his presence is better than anywhere else. But here's the truth. We can't escape his presence. Psalm 139, 7 and 8. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you were there. For the Christian... Another layer of this truth of his presence 
lies in the fact that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Our bodies have become the temple of God. The Spirit permeates the very fabric of our being, splitting cells and separating molecules down to the very atoms of who we are. He makes his home inside of us. We're always with him, and he's always with us. The question becomes then, do we recognize his communion with us? Do we hear his voice? Do we sense his breath? Can we see the spirit moving like we see the leaves rustling in the wind? He gives us glimpses of that. He gives us glimpses when we become aware of his presence and we feel and know this to be true, that one day with him is better than 50 years spent doing anything else I want to do. When he touches us like that, what happens? Think with me for a minute. Have you ever had an experience like that? Where you know without a doubt that you're in the presence of God? Maybe it's been right here in the sanctuary, singing with your brothers and sisters, when you felt your soul lifted and the fog cleared, even if for a minute, before you became self-aware again and opened your eyes and weren't able to be there. Maybe it was while you're sitting quietly in the early morning darkness of your own home, asking him to help when you cried out about your child or your job or the illness in your family, and he met you there. And suddenly the fear and the anxiety dissolved. And all that was left was a peace that didn't make any sense. When he gazes upon us like that and meets us right where we are, what happens? Um, I tend to cry. Because I remember in those moments that this life is not the ultimate reality. There's a deeper, truer reality that permeates everything and everyone around us. We get these glimpses now, and they don't often stay with us for very long. And listen, that's okay, because they aren't the whole picture. The truth is that he's gazing at us all of the time. Okay? Let that sit for a minute. He's gazing, with, he's gazing on us all of the time. He's ever-present. He's with us, and he is the point. So how do we practice beholding him? How do we get more of this? Listen to these words by a guy named Strahan Coleman in his book called Beholding. Should be up for you. It's about how we hold God before us and how we live from the place of being held by him. It's the practice of looking to God with an open soul, admiring him, allowing him to be, and watching him move in and around our lives. It's a much wider definition than speaking to God to get things done, offering words of praise or interceding on behalf of others. It's about how we exist. In a way, it's praying without ceasing, but it's also more than that. 
It's about spending our lives admiring the beauty of God without agenda. To be with God in this way, without special outcomes or objectives, is to love him for him alone. It's in itself a holy life. It's our response to the great commandment. So the definition of behold is to see or observe a thing or person, especially a remarkable or impressive one. And my friends, the Lord God is the most remarkable, the most impressive person in the universe. He himself is the point. Not what we can get out of him, not how he can bless us, just him. So we behold him when we sit with him in silence, trusting that even if we don't feel differently when we leave that time, we know that no time has been wasted in his presence. We behold him on our walk on the trail as we look at the tall sycamore and marvel at her white bark and expansive canopy. We behold him when, the very, when we see the very image of God, the Imago Dei, in the face of the stranger or even the enemy sitting across from us at the DMV or the picket line. We behold him in all of these moments and infinitely more. These glimpses, these snapshots of his eternal glory remind us that he's accessible all of the time. He's accessible all of the time, just waiting for us to notice him. We are home with God as we behold him beholding us. We, behold, we are home with God as we behold him beholding us. Okay, let's move to our second point, which is believe. Verse five. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Let's see how we experience home with God when we believe his promises to be true and watch him come through. Let's see how we experience home with God when we believe his promises to be true and watch him come through. His promises are our strength. Uh, okay, so several of our leaders and staff recently completed... Uh, restore training, which is based on the principles of last summer's one read, uh, which was called Restoration Story. During that process, Pastor Darren was really struck by this concept that somehow we are stronger in our weakness. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12.10, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It got me thinking. It got me thinking. And over the last several weeks of that training, I felt the Lord impressing his promises on my heart with the following question. What if I began with believing that his promises are true? 
What if I began with believing that his promises are true? What do I mean? Um, so I tend to be reactionary as I walk through the Valley of Baca that we read about in verse 5 or 6. Scholars differ on what exactly Baca is referring to. Some call it the Valley of Tears or Weeping. Some call it or refer to it more as a desolate, dry place. Regardless, it's a tough spot to be in, guys. It's hard. It's where things in life feel overwhelming, okay? Psalm 23 talks about the valley of the shadow of death. It's a similar concept, similar concept. So again, I tend to be reactionary towards God when the valley closes in and something happens. Somebody gets sick, something terrible happens, tragedy strikes, a friend is suffering. Very quickly, I can start to question God's goodness. I allow my circumstances to dictate what I feel is true about God instead of allowing the truth of his word to dictate how I interpret my circumstances. Now hear me, I am not, I am not saying a couple of things, okay? I am not saying that we should ignore all of our hard and negative and difficult feelings when hard things happen. Absolutely not. In fact, that's one of the most beautiful things about the Psalms, right? They give words to our fear to our brokenheartedness, to our lamenting. They're the heart of Scripture. Here's also what I'm not saying. Okay, story time. The other day, I'm standing in the kitchen with Annie. Um, the boys are in the car. They're ready to go somewhere. Um, and for several days leading up to this moment, Annie had been worried and overwhelmed by some of our circumstances. And she was actually just taking a moment to maturely and calmly explain to me the way that she felt, why she felt the way she felt. So I'm listening. But pretty quickly, in the back of my mind, something pops up. And it goes like this. Man, she just needs to believe. She just needs to believe the promises are true. I mean, that's what God's been showing me. And if she did that, then we'd be in a better spot and this wouldn't be happening. So that's, that's all that needs to happen right here. So I get excited, right? And I go on a little rant about how she just needs to believe his promises and not be anxious. It came out like, hey, don't be anxious, just believe. <laughs> Needless to say, that didn't go over very well. <laughs> so what's going on there? What's happening? Um, here's what was going on. I was afraid and sad for my wife. That was the reality of my heart. And I acted out of that. Looking back, I can see that I was the anxious one. It wasn't actually her. It was me. My wife was processing her emotion in a healthy and mature way. And I started to worry about her, and I wanted to fix everything now so that she felt better. And in my desire 
to regain a sense of control and comfort and peace in my own heart, I shot out some sort of my anxiety-ridden half-truth and tried to fix it, and I made things worse. Here's what I want you to know about that scenario, my friends. Your Father God never does that to you. He is completely safe to approach. He does not shout out, just believe to us in an accusing way. If you hear accusation, that is the voice of the devil, okay? The Lord God does not accuse you. He never beats us over the head with his truth when we are scared and hurting in the valley. Never. Not ever will he do that to you. He is always safe. He is always good. He gently draws us in, and you know what he says to us? Not not to condemn or accuse us, but to help us open our hearts to him. What are you afraid of? And so that's where we need to start when we look at believing his promises. What are we afraid of? What are our fears? What are the things that we are believing now that are not true? At the root of our fear will be a lie that we are believing. What are the lies that we are believing about him or about us or about somebody else? Listen, we cannot force ourselves into believing one of his promises when we have not confessed the truth of our hearts to him first. Belief will not happen without confession first. We have to tell him where we are. Because why? Because the truth sets us free to believe. Author Jamie Winship says that confession is simply truth-telling. It's not the act of remorsefully recounting our sins to God like we often think of it. It's just telling him what we are practically believing to be true in our own hearts. So look at this quote with me real quick. Confession is telling God the truth about what you really believe about him, yourself, and others. It's the greatest act, a sacrament. God loves honest confession. If I say to God... I think you let me down every day. And I'm afraid to take a new job because I'm afraid you won't show up. He will always work with that. Always. Is that shocking to you? Like, does that sound a little backwards to you? Can you really be that honest with, can you say that to God? Mm. Here's a little two-step process um, for application for our second point here, okay? Small two-step process. Number one, confess. 
I'm not talking about recounting all of your sins to God. I'm not talking about thinking about all your failures. I'm talking about telling God the truth about the lies that you're believing. Maybe you don't know what lies you're believing. That happens to me a lot. I got to reach out to somebody, be like, hey, this is happening. I don't know why I'm saying or doing this. Can you, like, help me see? God will help you see. Okay. So if you're behaving or stuff's happening and you don't understand why, and you ask him. Ask him, what lie or lies am I believing about you? And then confess that back to him. I was practically believing that it was up to me to pull Annie out of her worry. And that's a lie. I can't do that. I don't have the power to make someone not be anxious. <laughs> okay. So step number one is confess. Step number two is remember the promise. I think most of us agree, uh, or most of us would agree, that we're not great at remembering what God has done in our lives or what he's promised us. We forget. But you know what? After we confess, God can come in and help us remember. Um, this is John 14, 26. It's not going to be up on the screen. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So as I talk about remembering, the pressure's off. Okay? The spirit of the living God lives inside of you. And as you come to him in honest confession, watch what he does with it. He'll take it. And then he'll whisper his promises to you through his spirit. That's how he works. The Bible is full of promises. Did you catch the one here in this psalm? Did you catch it? Verse 11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's a promise. No good thing. Is that hard to believe? Yeah. That's, that's, that can be hard to believe at times. It doesn't feel like everything is good in my life. Right? What about my child? What about my health? What about my job? What about my mortgage? What about my heating bill that I can't afford? And what about this part like about walking uprightly? I definitely don't feel like I do that all the time. But listen, you're clothed in righteousness, my friend. Jesus has you covered. This promise is still for you, okay? So, wait with me for a minute. Do you hear Jesus right now? My son, my daughter, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What promise of God do you need to remember today? Ask him to tell you even now. Even right now in this very moment. 
That's what I'm talking about, guys. I'm talking about experiencing God, okay? And we're improving. Talking about experiencing God. We're talking about how He interacts with us in real time, in real life. It's not fake, it's not fantasy, it's not fairyland, okay? So if you want to know something, if you have a question for God, then ask Him. I needed to remember that He's always with me and He'll never forsake me. I will never be stranded physically or emotionally. That was the key to unlocking the lie of discomfort around my heart. After he reminded me of that, I was able to go apologize to my wife. And our relationship was restored into something better than it was before. So let's begin our days reminding ourselves of what is true in his promises so that we can recognize the lies for what they are. As we go from strength to strength by confessing what's actually in our hearts and believing that his promises are true, we turn the desert wastelands into places of springs. Each footprint footprint we leave behind births a mini oasis of cool grass, blooming flowers, where once there was only sand. We are home with God when we believe his promises to be true and watch him come through. Let's move on to our third and final point here. Verse 12. Verse 12, the very end, says, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. We'll see that we are home with God when we bear our souls to him and experience his love and acceptance in return. All right, think about your best friendships. Think about your marriage. Um, If a foundation of trust does not exist between two people, it's going to be really difficult, if not impossible, for those two people to share an intimate, loving relationship, right? If I can't tell you something, if I have to hold something back about myself as we relate to one another, I'm not going to feel fully known, and you aren't going to get to know the real me. Okay, so I'm a family doctor. Um, And I use trust language with my patients often, actually. Because if I've learned one thing over time um, in my years of practice, it's been that if I don't have your trust as a patient, there is no way you are going to do what I ask you to do. Um, And I I ask a lot of people, right? Like, I ask you to stop eating all the junk that you're eating, and I ask you to start moving your body maybe if you haven't moved it in like 50 years, and I ask you to lay down addiction, I ask you to quit smoking. But you know what? If, if they don't trust me and what I'm saying to them about the health benefits of all those things, it's not going to happen. It does not happen. I can, prom- I, I can attest. Okay. So when I meet someone for the first time, I do my best to make sure they feel heard and understood. I try to summarize what they say back to them so that they know that I was listening to them. I'm obviously not perfect at that, okay? I definitely have my days. My nurse is here today. She can tell you that I have my days. And for those days, God shows me a lot of grace and mercy and leaves me a McAllister's sweet tea on my desk at lunchtime. (laughs) Here's my point, though. Here's my point, though. It's no different between us and God. It's no different. We're talking about relationship here, guys. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8 tells us how to trust God. And I really like how the message puts it, so I'm going to read from that. Um, 
It says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. That's relational language. And this is one of the most mind-blowingly beautiful things about Christianity compared to other world religions, right? We are welcomed into a relationship with a living God. If you've grown up around the church, you've heard it all the time. Christianity is about relationship, not religion, right? You've heard that maybe. And it's true. But here's my question, my friends. Is that your lived experience? Do you know the God who made you? And I'm not talking about just knowing about him here, okay? I'm talking about knowing him. Do you know him here? I'm talking about the kind of knowing that you feel in your bones. The kind of knowing that can't be contained in your head but busts out at the seams and spreads throughout the rest of your body, forcing you to worship for reasons that you can't even explain with your rational mind, causing you to speak up to injustice or oppression when it might cost you something, and propelling you to love the unlovables and the marginalized around you, even as you take in those side glances and those stares from a confused world around you. Our relationship with him is such that he asks for our trust at the beginning. And then as we behold him and as we believe in his promises, what happens? Our trust in him grows more and more. And it's a cycle. We see him. We believe him. He responds to us. We trust him more. Um, Inherently trusting someone is really hard for a lot of us. It's really hard. We've been hurt by too many people, too many different times. We've been hurt by people who were supposed to be safe for us, but we're not. But he's patient, okay? He is patient and kind. He's not going to push you too hard or too quickly. He'll gently show you that he can be trusted. God is trustworthy, my friends. He's the most trustworthy person. His trustworthiness is the foundation for our relationship with him. Remember, humanity broke trust with him in the garden. It wasn't the other way around. Okay. We suspected that, you know, maybe he's holding back something from us. Maybe there was something else that he didn't tell us about, that he didn't give us. We believed that first lie spoken to us by the father of lies, and then we internalized it, and we spit it back out in our own voice. And that same lie continues to haunt us all these years later. We broke trust, but what did he do? What did he do? John 1 And the word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. You know what that word means? That means that he made his home here, where we are. He came to us and made home. He came after us. 
He went so far as to live perfectly and then die so that we might trust him again, so that we might have a relationship with him again. Did he come to wipe out our sins? Yeah. Yes, he did. That is a true statement. But why? Why did he come? Why did sin have to be defeated? To get us back. He came to get us back. He wants you back. He wants communion with you. That's why he came. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, Jeff quoted earlier. Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here's something incredible. Um, The psalmist talks about the blessing of trusting in God way before Jesus ever comes to the earth, right? We have the benefit of knowing the fuller story right now. So on what does the psalmist base his trust? Verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself. Verse 9, behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, Verse 11, for the Lord God is a, what, sun and shield. He provides a place for tiny birds to make a home, guys. If he does that for birds, how much more does he provide for us? He protects our souls like a shield. He is the light, the sun, the source of all goodness and truth, the son of Korah, knows deep in his bones that God can be trusted because he has experienced his goodness and protection and safety. So how do we then experience home with God as we attempt to trust him? How do we apply this trust? We bring our reality to him. We bring our reality to him. What do I mean? We trust him with the truth of what's actually going on in our hearts, okay? We don't try to clean ourselves up first. We don't try to make ourselves look pretty. We bear our souls as they are to him. Are you doubting his goodness? Are you mad at your spouse or coworker? Are you mad at God? Have you told him? He can work with that. But Seth, you can't talk to God like that. Man, what are you talking about? Yeah, you can. You can talk to God that way. And I would argue that you must talk to God that way. Do you think he doesn't know that you're angry with him? Ignoring your fear or anger or whatever it is is only lying to yourself and to him and trust cannot be built. Trust in the Lord from the bottom of your heart. Trust him with the stuff that's way down deep in there that you don't want anybody to see. You can't surprise him. You're not going to offend him, and he's not going to reject you. He is safe. But you know what happens when you trust him and you bring your honest self to him over and over? He meets you right there. 
You'll open his word or hear a song, and all of a sudden you'll feel that love or that peace or that comfort in your soul way deep down in your bones. We experience home with God when we bear our souls to him and then receive his love and acceptance. But, this is the best part. One day, he'll come and take you and me home for good. On that day, we won't have to cry anymore. We will experience home with God and have an ever-increasing awareness of that reality and somehow it's not going to crush us. It will be the best thing. Fully known, fully restored, fully gazing at him in all of his beauty, gazing back at us in love. Belief realized, trust solidified in our hearts forever. Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned by her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, th- from the throne saying, listen, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. My friends, we will know, we will know that we made it safely home. And then he'll come up to us and take his gentle finger to our faces. And in a moment, he'll wipe away all the lies, all the mistrust, all of our doubt, all the fear, all the shame, all the guilt away in a moment forever. This is the God of a thousand days. And eternity at home with him has already begun. Let's pray. Father, I trust that in your goodness and in your love, you speak actively to each one of us, drawing us back to yourself, asking us to remember your goodness and your promises asking us to forget any of the guilt or shame or junk that we have as baggage. Because that stuff doesn't matter when we're looking at you face to face. God, when we see your beauty, when we gaze upon it, when that's all that we know, it's all that we want, God, would you, would you make more of that in each one of our hearts, God? My prayer for us this morning is that we would experience you for who you are, the living God, a person, not some knowledge, not some impersonal being, but a real, living, active person. God, help us to believe. Forgive us in our unbelief. Thank you for being with us in this time, this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.